I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 2, and I can't read the whole thing, uh, but it's kind of where our message is based today, so I'm, I'm only going to read portions of it, uh, and there's a lot of good things sandwiched in between it, so I encourage you to read it on your own. But starting chapter 2, verse 2, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and be united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Stop. All right, just pause there. Just to say that if you don't get anything out of this message today, this is the one thing that I hope you would take away today. And that is that all wisdom and all knowledge, that kind of treasure is found in Jesus Christ. He's the source of it all. And if, if, anything, if everything kind of goes past you like a bunch of blah, 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 blah then just remember that. And I, I, I hope that you can really believe it with your mind and your heart, because I know that uh, maybe some of you are experts in law, experts in education, expert in medicine, experts in architecture. But do you think that Jesus Christ could give you wisdom and insight into what you do? Is he really the source of all wisdom and knowledge? I mean, if he is the creator and maker of all things, don't you think he knows how a building goes together? Don't you think he knows how a human body is made and how it works? Don't you think he knows how a mind can be educated and learn? All those things, yes. He can give you insight into what you do because all wisdom and knowledge is found in him. So if that's the one thing and, and then that little song sticks in your head, be a prayer, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. If, those, if, if you just walk away with those two things today, thank God, all right? But, okay, here's, here's the rest. This is all extra, all right? So if you can remember any, any of the rest of this, good for you. A plus, plus, smiley face, gold stars, all right? So uh, reading on Colossians here. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Going down to uh, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it then that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, that's a, that's a capital D, lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised and putting off the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith and power of God who raised him from the dead. And then there's all the good stuff that I have to skip, and I'm going to the beginning of chapter 3. We've heard don't. We heard the don't. Don't be taken captive by the philosophy of, the, of this world. Don't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Here's the do's, all right? Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts where? On things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds where? On things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him. All right. Over the next few weeks, I want to focus on how a thought can be a great liability or a great asset to your life. And there are some basic reasons for us talking about this here at Highland. First big reason, we have talked about the great commandment quite a bit around here. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
Mind, yeah, and strength, yeah. How do we love God with our minds? That's what we want to talk about. One large aspect of the great mind, of the great commandment is loving God with your mind. Not just one quarter of your mind, not just one half of your mind, not three-fourths of your mind, but with all of your mind. All is a big word. It's little, it's only three letters, but it's a big word. How do you love God with all your mind? Your mind and heart work together. For some of us, the mind is always trying to tell the heart what to do, and the heart doesn't want to do it. For some of you, it's the other way around. Your heart is always trying to tell your mind what to do, and it doesn't want to do what your heart is saying. So I hope in sharing some ideas, some biblical thoughts about, how some, about thoughts that somehow you might find help in aligning your heart and your mind to work together in peace. So I'm praying that we'll learn how to love God with our minds, all right? Second big reason it's good for us to talk about this and talk about our thoughts. Each one of us can't stop doing something. There's something that you can't stop doing. It's not breathing. But it's like breathing. It's thinking. You can't ever stop thinking. Even right now as I'm talking, saying one thing, you could be listening and hearing everything I'm saying but thinking about something else at the same time. You've been trained by CNN. You can watch and listen to someone at the top of the screen and watch the little scrolling lines down below. And you can take in two things. Some of you have four different screens watching on uh, your sports teams and you can keep up with all four events going on at the same time. Your mind can think, and it can think in many ways, in many directions at the same time. Your mind is amazing. Even when you sleep, you can't stop thinking. In your dream, you're going, I'm dreaming, aren't I? (laughs) Yes. You're thinking that you're dreaming. You can't stop thinking. It happens all the time, like breathing. So it's important, as we constantly think, to know that how we think determines how we will be. How you think determines who you will be and how you will act. Thoughts precede actions all the time. It's like when you're driving a car or riding a bike. You know, where you look or focus is where you're going to go. You know, you're driving along, you go, oh, look at the pretty horses, oh. It's not just with driving. It's with our very lives that that happens. Where you look, where you focus you will go. You'll move towards it. So how you think is important because your thinking shapes not only your life, but how you view life and interact in the life around you. Have you ever stopped and wondered not just about what you think, but how you think? How many concepts and ideas have you soaked up from the world around you? How many times do we really have an original thought instead of just building upon thoughts that we we took in from outside ourselves? Of these thoughts from outside ourselves, how many are from our parents, from our teachers, from books, from movies, from the newspaper, from magazines, from the internet? How do we evaluate which thoughts are the ones we want to hang on to and shape us? And which thoughts are the thoughts that we should reject? Which are the thoughts that make us strong? Which are the thoughts that make us weak? A single thought can change the course of your conversation. A single thought can change the course of your day. A single thought can change the course of your life. A single thought can also change or affect the course of many lives. For example, let me just take a somewhat 
morally neutral, life-changing thought that has shaped everyone's mind here in this room. The thought was developed by a man named Isaac Newton back in 1665 when he spent some time and formulated some laws, laws of gravity, laws of motion, laws of optics. And when he did this, Newton's major thought from these things that came out, his major view, his major idea that spread throughout the world was that the world around us functions in order, that it is a a clockwork universe, as he described it. From that point forward in time, other people developed that view from Newton, and they built upon it so that it influenced the view of other areas of life, not other than science. People begin to see the world like a machine built with parts. And so in people's quest to understand the world, to understand the principles of the world, they wanted to see inside the machine. They wanted to see and break it down into parts because they believed that everything behaved and was like a machine, a clockwork. They wanted to see the parts and pieces of society, the sociological phenomenon, the parts and pieces of the clockwork of governments and political science, the parts and pieces of the mind and psychology, the parts and pieces of story and literature. Newton's view of life, of the universe, even touched preachers and people who studied the Bible as they would break down a chapter into parts verses and pull out one word and study its roots and various uses. You know, it's all very fascinating how this one thought has developed a view of the world that has permeated thinking of everyone on earth. Now, is that view or that thought bad? Is that thought good? I mean, if taken to certain extremes, I'm I'm sure in certain instances that it could move into moral territory of, of good or bad. But more often than not, Locking onto a thought or into a way of thinking simply keeps us from seeing things, new things or different things. Always thinking about life and things as a machine that can be broken down into parts may keep us from thinking how maybe the universe is also like a living system and how all the parts are related and connected to one another. Maybe. Maybe that's a thought that could be built upon and bring change. You know, there have been other thoughts like Newton's that have permeated society and affect the view and thinking of many people without even realizing it. Some of those thoughts have been less neutral. Men who are dead and gone rule the world from their graves by the thoughts that they left behind, the ideas that outlived them. Darwin and Marx Their thoughts have been combined, and now there's a pervading thought of social Darwinism that exists, that society is ever upwardly evolving, although there's many others who could bring facts and evidence that would say that we're not, we're devolving, maybe, falling apart. John Dewey left an imprint of his thought upon educators so that they thought truth was equal to experience an illusion that really can't be taught. So my question is, why go to school? Students, maybe you can use that with your parents. <laughs> Julian Wellhausen created doubt in Western civilization when he presented Christianity as a set of religious views based in human reason and presented an evolving God instead of faith anchored on divine revelation 
by an unchanging God. John Keane's economics have been ruling British and American politics since the time he presented his short-term economic thought that government must invest to revive the economy. He also gave his famous admission to his failure to think out the long-term sustainability of that idea. And he said, long-term? In the, in the long-term, we're all dead. That was his conclusion. Freud, Kierkegaard, and others who have presented their thoughts that penetrated culture for generations after themselves, those thoughts ruling far longer than any conqueror like Alexander the Great or Napoleon, who were just merely fleeting comets lighting up the sky for a few moments. Some of these thoughts that have ruled for many years are starting to be questioned as we see the practice of those thoughts leading to disintegration. That can be a terrible thing if you unknowingly built your life on one of those premises, on one of those thoughts. It would truly be a rock-your-world kind of thing, an experience realizing that a thought you built many other thoughts around was false. It's a domino effect, a chain reaction, where a person would then begin to have to question every other thought following that one thought that was unreliable and false. The question of what's real would have to be asked. It would shake everything. This kind of shaking of everything when we find a thought not to be true or not to be reliable just doesn't happen in the realm of thoughts about the world around us but also in the realm of thoughts about ourselves. And maybe this is where you can relate from personal experience. There have been moments when a thought that was received, believed, and built upon, a thought like, I'm stupid, is discovered to be untrue, not real. It can shake and revolution a life. People with dyslexia have often believed that they are incapable of learning and believed other lies on top of that, that until they discovered the truth that it was optics and not about their intellect. And then the trajectory of their lives just totally changed from that moment when they began taking out the lie and replacing it with the truth, what was real. What can happen with each of us when we reject the thoughts that are false and unreal instead of and take hold and take hold of the thoughts that are true and real? And again, how can we know the difference between thoughts that are untrue and thoughts that are true? What is real? We need to find what is unshakable, what is real, what is eternal. There are some who will say that nothing exists that has those qualities. But the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob claims to be eternal. He has revealed himself as the real, not imagined God, as creator and maker of all things. He claims to be the one who possesses and gives life and understanding or that revelatory light. There is a different kind of light besides this light that you switch on with a, with a little flick of a switch. There's a light that brings understanding. He claims to be the one who possesses and gives us life and that understanding. There is a darkness of heart and mind that destroys understanding of what is real. 
There are philosophies or thoughts and systems of thought that can capture our minds and hold them in that darkness. I assert and I believe that we cannot know and have understanding of what is real and true without God. And we cannot know what is true and real without his instruction. We cannot distinguish which thoughts to accept and which thoughts to reject. You've got to have a starting point, a place to stand that is unshakable. Where is that place? A place where you can weigh every thought to know if it can be used to build your life upon it or around it. I assert that this place to start is with God revealing himself and showing us what is real and what is true, showing us what thoughts can be unshakable. He is the one who made our always thinking minds, isn't he? God cut through all the philosophies of thought by coming in the flesh and in a sense saying, I am what is real. For those who are looking for what is unshakable and real, John the Baptist testified and said that Jesus was the true light that brings life and light to men. Again, that light that brings understanding takes us out of darkness of thought. Jesus is the real life, and his words are life. Jesus' thoughts expressed in words are eternal and will never pass away and never be found false, untrue, or not real. Those who put Jesus' thought into practice are like people who build their lives upon a rock, a house built upon the rock. And it doesn't matter how fierce the storm is, that house won't fall. That life will not tumble or crumble. When we build upon the thoughts of Jesus. In the next couple of weeks, I want to look into the scriptures to see how we can not be taken in by the dark philosophies of this world how we can develop thoughts that are strongholds of truth instead of strongholds of lies. Strongholds of truth that strengthen our lives instead of strongholds of lies that weaken our lives. I want to show you how our mind is the primary spiritual battlefield and the weapons that we've been given to overcome on that battlefield. I've shared with you some thoughts of men that have had a negative influence in regards to ruling the minds of people long after their deaths, but I want to close by sharing with you the thought of God encapsulated in the gospel. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. This one great thought of God is something entirely different and has begun to change the world, spreading a life-giving transformation This thought of God is entirely different than what the world expects and totally unlike anything mankind has experienced in the realm of religion. Up to the point of Jesus Christ coming into this world, people built temples. They built pyramids. They submitted themselves to all kinds of rituals and sacrifices and made religious experts and called them priests. Most of all mankind operated on this one principle. I do things and then God accepts me. But then Jesus and his followers came who operated and lived in such an unusual way people weren't sure how to respond to them. They didn't know what to make of them. Neighbors of early Christ followers would ask them, where's your temple? And the Christ followers would say, well, we don't have a temple. But where do your priests work? Where do they labor? 
Christ followers reply, well, we don't have priests. And then the neighbors would kind of scratch their heads and sputter, but, but where are the sacrifices made to please your gods? And the Christ fathers would reply that they did not need to make sacrifices anymore. Jesus himself was the temple to end all temples. He was the priest to end all priests. He was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. No one had ever heard of anything like this before. This wasn't religion. It was non-religion. So the Romans called the early Christ followers, get this, this is where this word comes from. They called the early Christ followers atheist. Because what the Christ followers were saying about spiritual reality was unique and couldn't be classified with other religions of the world at that time. Because of the person Jesus, Christ followers operated on a principle different from this world. Remember the world's principle? I do certain things, God accepts me. You know what Christ followers operate on? I'm accepted by God. And I delight in following him. We start with acceptance from God. That's where it starts. Our world likes to divide things into poles, into opposites. The religious and the irreligious. The good and the bad. But the gospel is an entirely new spirituality. The gospel of Jesus is neither religion or or irreligion. It's not morality or immorality. It's not moralism or relativism. It's not conservatism or liberalism. Nor is it something halfway along the spectrum between the two poles. It is something entirely different. When Jesus came, people were ready for him to take sides. There's still people that want him to today. It's similar to our world in which a culture war between those who consider themselves non-religious and those who consider themselves conservative or orthodox want to take back the culture. Both sides do. Don't fool yourself. Jesus took another stance that was on neither side, though he did single out religious moralism as a deadly spiritual condition. Jesus and his gospel instead took another approach. You know what his approach was? Not choosing a side, but saying, everyone is wrong. Everyone is loved. And everyone must recognize this and be changed. Everyone is wrong. Everyone is loved. And everyone needs to recognize this and be changed. That is the great thought of God that was introduced to our world, the thought that is changing everything. You know one word that summarizes all that? The thought that has changed the world? Grace. Grace. And if we could ever grasp it and understand it, it could change your life too. Because how you think is how you will be. And that thought that you can grab onto can change you who you are. It can change how you act. Instead of trying to change your behavior on the outside and rearrange things, you need to start from the beginning with God's acceptance, with grace, the work on the inside. Starts on the inside. It changes everything. Grace enables us to love God instead of earning something from him. 
There's no invitation, no big question, just laying the groundwork for where we need to go. And I'm praying, I'm praying that you'll recognize Jesus as the source of all wisdom, all knowledge. You offer up that prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord Jesus, in the next few moments, as we come before you to meet with you, I pray that you deal with our minds, deal with our hearts and how they interact with each other. Lord, I pray that you'd shake everything that could be shaken, that needs to be shaken out of us until only what's left is the unshakable and what can be eternal. Lord, we know that what you bring is eternal. Your word and your very life and your presence. Lord, I pray that you'd show us the things that maybe have influenced us, thoughts that maybe we should reject, thoughts that make us weak. And Lord, help us to take a hold of the thoughts that make us strong, the thoughts that are from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.